welcome. My name's Anna and we're actually going to start off with a game today. We're going to start with a game, a version of Pictionary. Apart from it's not actually really Pictionary because I didn't draw any of these pictures. So we'll call it maybe Professional Pictionary because all of the cartoons were likely drawn by professionals. But what your job is, is chat with the people that you're with. So if you're in a service or if you're at home, um, join with a couple of people around you and I want you to see if you can identify these five pictures and the stories behind these five pictures. And they're all from the book that we're about to study. So it's likely you know the book we're about to study, but if you don't, let that be your clue. So you've got about a minute and then I'll start talking again. Now I've got no idea how well you did, but my guess is that you did brilliantly. And even if you didn't know what any of them were, um, any of the stories, I'm sure you gave creative guesses. And that's what counts sometimes, doesn't it? So aren't these stories incredible if you got any of them? We have the Holy Spirit being given to followers of Jesus and them speaking in different tongues that the Spirit enabled them. We've got a man persecuted, a man perse who persecutes Christians, um, seeing God and turning his life around. We've got a missionary for Christ being stoned and being persecuted for the work that he's been doing. We've got a guy being healed um, by followers of Jesus, well, by God through followers of Jesus. And we've got people in jail singing praises to God and an earthquake happening, um, which helps them escape. Um, these are incredible stories, right? And last week when we shared at, the, at night church, the street night that we were, gonna, we were about to study the book of Acts, the auditorium just like was pumped. Everybody suddenly looked around and was so excited. And that's because this is a really exciting book. The book of Acts covers the 60 years-ish of the newborn church and we see miracles, the power of the Holy Spirit at work. We see people's lives flip on their heads. We read of people hearing about Jesus being risen from the dead and we see the power of God breaking people out of jail and the power of God taking blindness of people's eyes. And as we study the first 60 years of the early church through the book of Acts, which we're actually going to do in three parts. So this is just the first part and we're going to go through the first six chapters. Um, we can apply what the newborn church is learning and experiencing in our lives as followers of Jesus. We're part of the same era. Last year when we did the book of First Thessalonians, Jerem um, taught us through a passage in the Bible where it talks about um, time, time that's happened and time that in the future and how everything is going to kind of work, how God's laid it out for us. And we talked about something called the church age. 
and the church age being after Jesus died on the cross. So the book of Acts, it's placed right at the beginning of the church age and us here in 2023, we're still in the church age. So everything that the newborn church was learning and experiencing, we're part of that. So it's not at all irrelevant to us. In fact, it's completely relevant to us. Something I love about the street church is it's always, oh, skip ahead. Something I love about the street church is that we've always been a church that is willing to change and willing to grow so that we're effective for Christ. And I've seen that with my own eyes over the years that I've been here, but I've also read about it in the 100 years at the street book. Um, there's an attitude of adapting what we do, of redirecting what we do, refocusing so that we as a church can be effective and keep the main thing the main thing. So as we read through the book of Acts as a church, as a church let's welcome a posture of challenge. What can we learn from the newborn church, a group of people who've been trained by Jesus himself and are spreading the news of Jesus throughout the whole Roman Empire? Where do we personally need to refocus or adapt? And where do we collectively need to do the same? So I ask you, as we come to this series about the birth of the empowered church, a group of people diligently following what Jesus said, what needs to grow in each of us to be a more effective follower of Jesus Christ? Today, we're going to read the first 11 verses of Acts 1. And the book of Acts is actually written by Luke. So the two books kind of go together. So in Acts 1, it follows on from Luke 24. So a lot of what we um, read in Acts 1 is referring back to Luke 24. So let's start. In my former book, Theophilus, that's who he's writing to. His former book isn't Theophilus, it's Luke. Um, I wrote all about that Jesus, what Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So what's actually happening in this text? Luke's writing to a guy called Theophilus and what we know of him is he's likely a follower of God and he likely has a high social standing because he's referred to as most excellent. Then Luke says, I wrote about all the things that happened in those 40 days when Jesus re revealed himself to followers of him. 
So we find that in Luke 24, he stories of him revealing himself to people and giving them convincing proofs that it was him, Jesus. He also spoke and taught about the kingdom of God to people and what it was to look like here on earth. The disciples were, ex- were expecting like a political, territorial, national restoration of Israel and asked, when, when's that going to happen? Is it now? Is now what's supposed to happen now that you've died? Yet Jesus responded to them and said they weren't to know when Israel will be completely restored and free from oppression. One day it will be, but the timing of this was not for them to know. But what he did say was he gave two really clear instructions. The first being, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift, for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the second instruction, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then Luke teaches about the ascension of Christ. So during the 40 days when the resurrected Jesus um, was with his disciples, he kind of came and went. But this time he rose up into the clouds, making it clear this was the farewell. Two men dressed in white, most likely angels, declare that he'll come back to earth in the same way he just left. What a beginning to a book, right? We have Jesus resurrected, meeting with his followers, telling them those final instructions. He's just about to ascend to heaven and he's like, it's go time, I'm going. This is what you guys are supposed to do. Um, I'm out of here. And we see these three themes um, throughout these 11 verses, but also through the whole book of Acts of the resurrection, the proclamation that Jesus is alive, the Holy Spirit empowering followers of Jesus, and the mission of being witnesses of Christ. So let's begin looking at those. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day after being hung on the cross and placed in the tomb. And he rose physically from the dead, not merely as like a ghost or a spirit, but his body was transformed into his resurrection body. And this body um, was sub- couldn't be decayed, um, couldn't decline, um, won't die. Um, In this resurrection body, he appeared to different people, proving he had been raised from the dead and proving that everything that was prophesied about him doing this was all true. The resurrection is the proclamation that Jesus is alive. So people were mourning him. They were going about their days grieving that Jesus had died And then he'd appear to them. And often they wouldn't recognize him at first. And then suddenly they would. And I think my favorite of his appearances to people was when he appeared to two people walking along a road to a place called Emmaus. And they were talking and grieving Jesus' death. And Jesus walks up beside them and he's like, what are you guys talking about? (laughs) And they're like, what have you not heard? Jesus the Nazarene has just died. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But he had hoped that he was the one, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. And Jesus replies to them and he rebukes them and he's like, come on guys, don't be foolish. Believe what the prophets have said. Don't have doubt. Um, Wasn't he supposed to suffer in this way to go to enter glory? Imagine that conversation. They'd be like, 
you feel very strongly about that, but great. <laughs> and they, they end up inviting him for dinner. And they're having dinner. And while breaking bread, the Bible says their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. Imagine what that would have honestly looked like. These lovely people have invited this man they've just met over for dinner and everything's normal. And then he breaks bread. They recognize him as Jesus and suddenly he disappears. I mean, was it the way he broke the bread that gave it away? Jesus also appeared to his disciples. Um, when he appears to them, he says, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It's me. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you, as you see I have. And in the days leading up to Jesus' death, we see disciples who deny Jesus to others. We see disciples who argue with each other. We see disciples who blame one another. They're a bit lost. Doubt is creeping in and out. But after the resurrection and in the coming chapters as we study them, we see the disciples have a 180 change in them. They go from denying to bold proclamation. They change from blaming one another to a focus and a mission. They change from being scattered to being empowered by the Holy Spirit. The resurrection was a game changer for the disciples. Seeing his resurrected body and seeing he really is alive. He has overcome death and was not merely a man, but fully God. This is the whole clincher of the gospel. The resurrection was a game changer for the disciples, but it's also a game changer for us. If he didn't resurrect and didn't overcome death, we would be stuck in death too. He's alive, he has overcome death, and he is one day coming back. The second theme throughout this passage is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In verse 4 and 5, Jesus says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. He's saying, Stay in Jerusalem, wait for this gift. If the Holy Spirit is coming and will be poured out in the coming days at Pentecost, but we also know that the Holy Spirit is completely God, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been present since the beginning of time, how does that work together? How does this work if the Holy Spirit is promised, yet he's not born or created in that moment, but has always been? Every miracle of God, every powerful change of the heart, every help to restrain sin that we see in the Old Testament is by the work of the Holy Spirit. The difference of what's going to happen at Pentecost is that there will be an indwelling of the Holy Spirit that is permanent, that is within, meaning he, the Holy Spirit, will live in you forever. The Holy Spirit's work is a rebirthing work. At Pentecost, the promise is that followers of Jesus will be born again and baptized into the family of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit living inside of you is a marker of you being in Christ and of, follow, of being a follower of Christ. In the Old Testament, we see selective and temporary indwelling of the Holy Spirit. People like Joshua and King David and King Saul are led by the Holy Spirit at specific times for specific things. And the Holy Spirit comes upon people and then goes again. Sometimes this is referred to as the favour of God coming upon people. 
In the Old Testament, the spirit coming upon an individual didn't always indicate the person's spiritual condition. So while in the New Testament, the spirit only dwells in believers and their indwelling is permanent, the spirit came upon certain Old Testament individuals for a specific task, irrespective of their spiritual condition. Once the task was completed, the spirit presumably left that, left that person. So Jesus is teaching his followers while in his resurrected body that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. The kingdom of God will be in their hearts, in the hearts of all believers through the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean for us? Do we live post-Pentecost? Yes, we do. Do you believe in God and have given your life to him? If the answer to that is yes, that means the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and the kingdom of God is in your heart. You are in the group of followers of Jesus Christ and you are identified as this. And Paul explains this in Ephesians as the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance to be with God forever. So why do we pray for more of the Holy Spirit? Why do we ask him to presence himself when he already dwells inside every believer? As believers, we have an impartation of the Holy Spirit, but we still live in a world where we desire things that are contrary to the Holy Spirit. So that's why we pray for more of the Holy Spirit, because we want more of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We want more of him and less of us. So over the coming weeks, we're going to see how this happened. In the next chapter, we see people, the people of God, follow this instruction and wait in Jerusalem, waiting to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. The third and last theme I'm going to talk about is the commission Jesus gives his followers. He says in verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem to the Jews, in all Judea to Jews as well, and Samaria, a place of Jews and Gentiles, and to the ends of the earth, just to Gentiles or to everybody who isn't. So Jews are people of Israel and Gentiles are everybody else. So this is kind of like concentric circles. Start here, then go here, and then just keep going. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. So inherently, as a follower of Christ, we are his witnesses. It's part of being part of the kingdom of God. We witness to him and we represent him. It's not a dip in, dip out type thing. It's part of the DNA of being a follower of Jesus. It's written into our lives. So what does it mean to be a witness? It means to give evidence to something you've seen to share proof of it. Who knows anyone that's come home from an OE or have come home from a trip to Europe and haven't talked about it? I think there's probably about 1% of people that are in that group. But I would say there's 99% come home from some kind of trip and they get the slideshow out. They talk in so many details. They're like, oh, the pastor in Italy. You just never get that in New Zealand. Oh, you haven't gone to Italy? Oh, you wouldn't know then. That kind of thing. It's just incredible. Um, they've experienced something so epic that they are going to tell the world. They are going to become Europe's biggest promoter. You're not going to get the person to stop talking about Europe for a while once they come home. Even three weeks later, it will be, throwback, wish I was still here. I mean, I went to Europe a couple of years ago and I haven't stopped talking about it. They have shared their experience of Europe. They've given evidence of something they've seen. They've witnessed about Europe. When Jesus tells us to witness about him, to be his witnesses, he means to share the stories of himself to, through each generation to every group of people, no one being excluded. 
by saying to the end of the earth, the only the qualifier is that you must live in the world to be included in that group. In the timeline God shares with us of how things happen, the picture we had at the start, the church age is our time to witness, to share. And the start of the sentence of Jesus' commission to us is completely revolutionary. He doesn't say, now go share about me, full stop. He says, you'll receive power by when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to all of these places. So when we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is deposited into us and a natural overflow of that will be power when we share about him. It's not just a one-man band. We're not doing this alone. Instead, the Holy Spirit is coming alongside us, doing something in the supernatural, opening eyes, softening hearts, giving clarity. We are his witnesses, and God has given us this role. Followers of Jesus, that's the church, it's our role to do this, to be witnesses to the whole world. And there's a time period that's been given. At the end of the passage, we see him go into the cloud and ascend to heaven. Angels then appear and say, he's going to come back one day in the same way he just left. History is moving to a specific point. Jesus returning to judge and rule over the earth. So the angels say, don't stand around just staring at the sky. Begin your job. Go. Over the next couple of months, as we go through the first six chapters of Acts, we're going to hear stories of people witnessing with incredible results. Not possible by great lines or really creative communication, but instead by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what do we do from here? At the beginning, I mentioned how I love the eagerness this church has to always be effective and never shy away from refocusing and changing what we do in order to not just exist as a community group that meets together, but instead to follow what the word says, the way the spirit convicts and to never shy away from taking a path less comfortable. My inkling is that as we study the book of Acts, we're going to learn some things as followers of Christ that need to change in our lives. Areas we need to pay less attention to and areas we've ignored that we need to refocus on. As a church, we're beginning five church-wide objectives that we'd love to grow in as a church. These are things in the current season we feel conviction over and we want to refocus time and energy to grow in these. As we look at the newborn empowered church, they were really good at these five things. They were simply devoted to Christ. They proactively shared their faith. They were known for making a difference. They were locally present and they made disciples who would then go on and make more disciples. As we study the book of Acts, these are going to be brought up. We're going to see how the newborn church excelled in these. So I finish with how I started. Let's welcome a posture of challenge. Let's read these events that happened in the early newborn church and ask ourselves, what needs to grow in me to be a more effective follower of Jesus? I'll pray. Lord, I thank you for this these incredible stories in this book of Acts. Lord, I thank you that we can read them and learn about you and learn about your power that you have um, to heal, to turn people away from sin and call people to yourself, Lord. I pray that as a church, you stir something up in us um, that's needed 
and you help us to focus on the things that really, really matter and let the things that don't matter fall away, Lord. Um, thank you for the work that you're doing in this church already. Thank you for the work you've been doing for ages. And I pray for every individual in this church that we take personal ownership over this, Lord. Help point out what needs to grow in each of us, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Amen. <laughs>